Amen. Well, hey guys, my name is Drew. I'm the youth pastor here at Covenant, and I'm so glad to see those of you who are in the room, and also welcome to those of you joining us online. Uh, tonight, we are continuing our series, like Bob mentioned, it's called Master Class. And in the series, Brantz has been walking us through the last couple weeks on this idea of Jesus teaching parables. Jesus as the master teacher, showing us how to tell a story, and even more than that, we get to see and learn about the kingdom of God through those stories. So tonight, we're continuing that. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 21, starting in verse 33. So if you'd like to go ahead and turn in your Bibles there, if you have them, or open up your app and look for Matthew 21, starting in verse 33. But before we get into that, I have to start with a confession. I have to confess something to you guys. Are you feeling uncomfortable yet? It's okay. It's not too deep. But uh, what happened is, a couple weeks ago, I was having a conversation with my daughter. My daughter, Ayla Grace, is two. I should also say that uh, to any students watching, it's not going to surprise you at all that I'm telling an Ayla story, but um, Ayla teaches me a lot about God, and in this case, a lot about myself, because in this conversation, it was very mature that I was having with my two-year-old. She said something like, Daddy, come here. And I responded, you know, with all the grace and love of Jesus in my heart, no. And she said, why? And I said, Again, with all maturity and grace and humility, I said, because you're not the boss of me. (laughs) You're two. And I refuse to go to my daughter. Now, why am I confessing this to you? Well, I wanted you to know that those words, some of you, if you're parents, you've heard those words, right? You're not the boss of me. Generally not spoken to you, maybe, if your child's feeling really bold, but uh, a lot of times siblings will say this to each other, or uh, students may say this sometimes to their friends. It's if somebody's getting a little bossy, they're like, no, I'm not listening to you. You're not the boss of me. Well, I didn't know it until this week, but this exact sentiment is in the Bible. Did you know that was biblical? I didn't until this week. It's in Matthew chapter 21, and we're going to get to hear some Pharisees. Uh, Now, I'm paraphrasing. They don't say that exact quote. But the heart of you're not the boss of me is alive and well in the Bible, and we're going to look at it tonight and what it means. So, Again, Matthew chapter 21, we're going to start in verse 33, but before we jump into that, I need to do a little bit of, provide a little bit of context for you. In the beginning of Matthew chapter 21, there's this really important event that happens where Jesus comes into Jerusalem. And in this, in this coming to Jerusalem, he's riding on a donkey, there are people cheering, there's a celebration, they're so excited that Jesus is coming, and then he arrives, and he immediately does something that nobody expected. He goes in the temple. This is about the middle of chapter 21 of the book of Matthew. And he cleanses it. And I don't mean like with Clorox wipes and things that are really hard to find these days. No, he goes in and he kicks out the religious leaders of the day who are using the temple for their own gain. You see, they've figured out a way to make money off of people trying to get closer to God and to manipulate those people. And they have a system set up where they are abusing the authority that God has given them as leaders of the temple, and they're using it for their glory. So as you might expect, Jesus wasn't having that. And so he went in, he cleaned out the temple. And as he did, again, as you might expect, the people who he kicked out of the temple were not happy about that because they'd worked out a nice situation for themselves. And so they were frustrated, they were upset, they didn't like this Jesus guy, and so they showed up in the middle of Jesus' teaching later in Matthew chapter 21, and now we're getting to this parable because they ask a question that sets the stage for Jesus' parable that we're going to look at tonight. In fact, the question that they ask, he answers with no less than three parables. He tells three stories, and all three of them are in direct response to this question. Here's what they ask. By whose authority do you do this? Do you hear it? 
You're not the boss of me. That's what they're really saying. By whose authority? Who gave you the right to tell us what to do? Who gave you the right to come in here and clean us out and disrupt our system that we've worked out for ourselves? Who, who puts you in charge? You're not the boss of me. Now, I should pause right here, and I just want to be totally transparent with you guys. There are some words that, um, in response to this question, that are a little bit uncomfortable to talk about in the best of circumstances, and they're even more uncomfortable to talk about in light of kind of our cultural climate right now. This idea of authority, this idea of submitting to authority, these are words that it would be a lot easier, a lot more comfortable for all of us if I just kind of skimmed over them, but there's this problem that this is the word that's used in this question. It asks, by whose authority do you do this? And so I want you to know that when I use words like authority and talk about concepts about submitting to authority tonight, I'm not talking about many of the discussions going on in our culture right now. What I'm talking about is the kingdom of God. Again, we have to remember this is the series called Masterclass is parables, stories told that address the kingdom of God. So when I talk about authority, we're talking about God's authority. When I talk about submission, we're going to talk about submitting to God's authority over his creation. So I just wanted to, to pause and say I kind of wrestled with how to communicate that tonight to you, or today, I'm sorry, to you. And that's, that's where I landed was I just wanted to explain this is about God's kingdom. And so with all of that in mind, um, I wanted to point out the very first thing about Jesus's response before I even tell you what it was. So be looking for this. As I tell this parable, Jesus' response to the question of by whose authority you do this, he's going to answer and he's going to say, Jesus has the authority of God. He has the full authority of God. As God's son, he was fully God, he is fully God and fully man. And so when he came to earth in the flesh, this is God carrying all of the authority, all of the weight of God himself. He is the one telling this story. And here's the story. Some of you are really excited I've gotten to this story now at this point. I hope I gave you plenty of time to find Matthew 21, 33. You should be there. Um, here's the story. Jesus says there was a landowner. And this landowner set up his land in such a way that he planted a vineyard. He built a wall around it. He set up a watchtower. And he hired some people to come in and work the vineyard. When he had done all those things, everything was good. Everything was set. It says the landowner left and went to another land and move there. So, as you might expect, the landowner knew that when harvest time came, when there was fruit to be collected from this vineyard, he would come back, or he would send someone back to collect that fruit, and he would allow the farmers to keep their share of it, but then he would receive the fruit of his field, of his vineyard. So, pretty standard story. As Jesus was saying this to the Pharisees, to the people that the Pharisees, um, or to the people that Jesus had been teaching, none of this would have been surprising to them, right? Like this all sounds normal for that day and age. But then something really surprising happens in the story. It takes a turn. Because when the harvest came, when the landowner sent servants to collect the fruit that was rightfully his, all of a sudden, the tenants, the farmers, they decided, you know what? I have another idea. Instead of giving the servants, the fruit. Let's just take the servants out of the picture. And so it says they beat one of them, of these three servants. They stone one of them and they kill the third. So now the landowner gets word of this and he decides, okay, I still need the fruit. We can't let this stand. So he sends more servants. This time, the farmers do the exact same thing to this group of servants. And so now the landowner's like, okay, I've got to figure something out. I've got to do something different. So what he does is he decides to send his son. 
to represent him with all the authority of him going to the people, going to the farmers and saying, hey, just give us the fruit that is ours. And so the son shows up and you know what they do to the son? They kill him. Take him outside the vineyard and they kill him. And so now Jesus ends this parable with a question. It's kind of a cliffhanger, right? He doesn't tell us what happens with the rest of the story. He pauses the story right where it is, and he says to the Pharisees who are listening, he says, what then will the landowner do to these tenants, to these farmers? And the Pharisees respond, like many of us would, we would say, well, he's not just going to overlook that, right? He's going to go, and he's probably going to kill those wicked tenants, those farmers, and give the land to somebody who's going to actually steward it the way that he wants them to steward it. That's what you would expect the landowner to do. And so that's the parable. That's the story that Jesus tells. And I wanted to just explain a few of the elements of this because there's a lot of symbolism here that's powerful for us. Um, As you might have picked out, the landowner represents God. The tenants actually represent the Pharisees and the religious leaders. So the very ones asking the question, by whose authority do you do this? Jesus tells them a great story where they are the villain. Not something they would have liked to hear, I'm sure, but that's, that's the story he gave because the vineyard represents the nation of Israel, which means God's chosen people. God gave them to the religious leaders to steward, to take care of, to point to God the Father, and instead, the religious leaders, remember, they had just been using the temple to honor themselves. They took the fruit for themselves. You might ask, well, what's the fruit in this story? It's God's rightful glory. The people of God working, when we, when we do things for God's glory, that's bearing fruit in our lives, like the scriptures talk about in other places. And so these guys decided, you know what? Instead of giving God the glory, we're going to keep it for ourselves. They were stewarding it poorly. So much so that they mistreated God's prophets that he sent to tell them and show them the way that represents the servants. And then, you've, you've probably guessed by this point, that there's a son that the father sends. Now we know that this son is Jesus. The same one who's standing there and telling the story to the Pharisees and the religious leaders of the day. That son was sent to the earth and a short time from this, he would be killed as well. But you know what I love? He didn't finish the story with them. He interrupted the story to ask a question. And it eventually gets to this topic of a cornerstone, which we're going to talk about in a second. But before we do, I've got to tell you, this is my favorite part. And this didn't hit me until today as I was preparing for this message. I realized, you know what? He doesn't finish the story. He stops. He asks the question. He begins to apply it. He doesn't finish the story because he was going to show them the end of the story a short time from this when he died. And that wasn't the end for the son. He's not talked about again in this parable, but the son who's speaking this story to the group of Pharisees and religious leaders, that son laid down his life, was killed on a cross, and then guess what? He took his life back. He came back to life, and in doing so, he did it out of love and the opportunity for people to have a relationship with him, with God the Father who sent him, because he has all the authority of God and also has all the love for all of the people on the earth, that anyone who put their faith in him would have life, even those same Pharisees who had been mistreating the people of God, misleading the people of God. He even loved them. And so he didn't tell them the end of the story, but he was going to show them. 
a short time from then. Jesus' authority is absolutely from God. The second thing I want to point out about Jesus' authority is that it changes everything. He comes in and he changes everything. The, the Pharisees didn't like that change because it challenged their authority that they thought they had. But he changes everything. The story continues, Matthew 21, 42 through 44. Say it this way. Jesus said to them, Have you never read in the scriptures? The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you. So now he's very clear with the Pharisees and the religious leaders. Guys, I'm talking about you. It will be taken away from you and given to a people who will produce its fruit. It's going to be given to a people who are willing to give the glory back to God. Anyone who falls on this stone, this cornerstone, will be broken to pieces. Anyone on whom it falls will be crushed. I want to talk about this cornerstone for a second. This is something that would have been common in the building of buildings back in this day. It was the first stone that was laid. It was the foundation stone that once you put that in the ground, it doesn't move. And everything else that's built up in that building is built the same direction in alignment with that cornerstone. It's the most critical part to the building being successful and being able to stand is where that, what that cornerstone is and where it's placed. Jesus is the cornerstone. He is the cornerstone that was rejected, was overlooked by those people who were trying to find, those, those religious leaders who were trying to say, you know what, I'm going to live my own life. I'm going to do things my way. I'm going to keep the law. I'm going to be good on my own. I'm going to earn God's love and his favor. Jesus comes in as the cornerstone rejected by them, but is, let's not be confused, he is the cornerstone. He is the point, and we know it because he was there at creation. He's been there for all of eternity. He is the one by whom and for whom all of creation was made. This Jesus is the cornerstone, and he changes everything. This reminds me of a board game. Now, I know that's weird, but there's a board game called Settlers of Catan. Maybe some, some of you have played it. Um, if not, you should. It's a lot of fun. What you need to know about the game is it's a little bit nerdy, which is why I love it. Um, it takes a long time to play, and the first move is the most important move in the entire game. If you've played this game, you know that it may take like an hour to play, but there are times when I've been playing with my friends, it takes us a good 25 or 30 minutes just for four or five of us to make our first move. And the reason is we, we scour the board, we look over it, we have to find the exact perfect spot to put our first piece on the board because the rest of the game must be built out from that piece. Once you play your first move, the rest of the game is determined by how wise or how poorly you made that decision. That's for a board game. How much more important is it that we make Jesus the cornerstone of our lives? That we build around his foundation that we recognize that he is the Lord, that he is the Savior, that he is the one who determines everything else that we do in our lives. When we make that switch, when we recognize him as cornerstone, it changes everything. And y'all, that is a good thing. That is a hopeful thing, in fact. When you recognize Jesus as cornerstone of your life, there is a shift in your hope. 
and the thing that you put your hope in, you move from putting your hope in your own strength to putting your hope in your own weakness because you understand that biblically, as Paul writes elsewhere in scripture, that God's strength is made perfect in our weakness. So we boast all the more gladly in our weakness because in so doing, we get to see and experience God's strength. His grace is sufficient for us. So that means that when life hits us hard, and can we just agree that in 2020, life has hit us hard. And when that happens, our, our previous response, if we are the cornerstone of our lives, would be to figure it out, to come up with a plan, to come up with lists, to get strong, to do, to do our best, to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps. But at the end of the day, that's not good enough because our strength fails. At some point, at some level, we're not strong enough to be cornerstone of our own lives because we were never built to carry that weight. But Jesus is. He is strong enough. He is good enough. And he gives us his strength when we allow him to be cornerstone of our lives. We get supernatural strength that doesn't make any sense to us. We get peace in all circumstances. We get Jesus when he is our cornerstone. We also move our hope from our own goodness, hoping in our works to accomplish a relationship with God, to recognizing that we're never good enough on our own, but we don't have to be because Jesus was good on our behalf. We receive his righteousness credited to our account. So when we come into relationship with Jesus, his goodness shines through us. When God the Father looks at us, he sees Jesus. That's a beautiful thing. We switch our hope from our goodness to God's goodness, given by grace through faith. And here's what it all comes down to, y'all. When Jesus is our cornerstone, we are living our lives the way we were created to live our lives. We were created to be in relationship with God. And because of our sin, we were separated from him for all of eternity unless he did something about it, and he did. He offered us himself in the form of Jesus, this cornerstone, and it changes everything about our hope. That's some good news. That is some good news. It changes our hope. Through Jesus, we are given the kingdom of God. The one who tells this story brought the kingdom of God to earth, allowing us to experience it now in relationship with him and for all of eternity as we praise him forever. This is good news. That's why they call it the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And it doesn't just change our hope, but it changes everything else. Everything else. Because when we put our hope in Jesus, when we recognize that he is cornerstone of our lives, now we change our actions. We don't change our actions to earn his love. He's already given it freely. We don't change our actions to earn his favor. We already have it when we accept the cornerstone is Jesus. But now our actions change not for his love, but out of an abundance of experiencing his love. And so, let me just talk for a second about what this might look like practically. Remember my phrase earlier that I shared lovingly <clears throat> to my daughter, Ayla Grace. You're not the boss of me. Now we take that phrase and we turn it on ourselves. So when we're tempted to objectify other people, when we see someone who's attractive to us and instantly our mind begins fantasizing about them, we remind ourselves, no, no, no. I'm no longer the boss of me. Jesus gets to tell me what to do and what to think. He is the cornerstone. And we change our minds. We change our actions. We change the way we speak. When we're tempted to hang on to our finances and use them just for our own gain, we, the Holy Spirit reminds us, no, no, no. I say to myself, I'm not the boss of me. I'm not the boss of me. You're not the boss of me. Jesus is the cornerstone. He gets to determine what I do with my finances. 
And it doesn't, it's not just that we're avoiding sin, although that is something the Holy Spirit allows us to do. But um, on top of that, it also gives us direction for our life. Remember, the cornerstone, the placement of it, builds all the other blocks around it. So now we begin to do things like pray and ask God to show us what direction we should go with our lives. We're obedient to him as he calls us because our hope has changed. It's in him. So even if he asks us to do something hard or crazy, even if he asks us to love other people who think differently than we do, look differently than we do, act differently than we do, wear masks or don't wear masks differently than we do, we respond with love because we have been changed by that hope in Jesus. He is the cornerstone. And when he is, he changes everything about our lives. And it's a good thing. It's sometimes hard. It's sometimes painful. There are moments that we don't see it. We don't see him working. We're trying to be obedient. We feel frustrated because, God, I feel like you're not coming through for me. Like we sang tonight. Even when we don't see it, he is working. Why? Because he is the cornerstone. He's the cornerstone of all creation. When we recognize him as such, we're living life the way we were designed to live it. Matthew 21, 45 to 46 is going to end this story for us. When the chief priests and the, and the Pharisees heard Jesus' parables, they knew he was talking about them. Which, by the way, can I pause and just say, I would hope so because he literally just told them, this is about you. But uh, anyway, all right, 46. They looked for a way to arrest him, but they were afraid of the crowd because the people held that he was a prophet. They were afraid of what the other people would think. Y'all, it's not enough to understand that Jesus is asking for us to submit to his authority. It's not enough to understand that Jesus is asking to be the cornerstone. The Pharisees knew what he was asking, but they refused to do it. They were comfortable. They were happy with the system they had built. They thought that the best thing for them was to remain the cornerstone of their own lives. And so they missed the whole point of what Jesus was saying. They skimmed right over the fact that he was going to offer them a hope that was greater than what they currently had. Because they didn't want to change. And I just wonder, how often am I tempted to respond the same way? When I've made the decision to let Jesus be cornerstone of my life, and I don't even know if I like that word let there, to recognize him as cornerstone of my life because he already is the cornerstone of everything. But when I recognize that truth, there are moments that I then get out of alignment. I start trying to build my own stones my own way, put them down in the foundation of my life in my own way, and I forget to orient them to the cornerstone. I wonder if there are places in your life where you've done the same thing. I wonder if tonight, as I'm talking, God's been prompting you within your spirit, within your heart. He's been, he's been whispering to you. He's been speaking to you saying, hey, there's this area that you haven't given over to me, that you haven't let me be cornerstone of, that you haven't let me align in your life. Give it to me. Y'all, I would just encourage you, be obedient to that. Listen for that. Even invite that. Because I promise you, even though it may be painful and it may be difficult, it may be uncomfortable, it is going to be what's best for you. Because here's the beautiful truth about God's authority. Remember, we're talking about kingdom of God authority and submission, submission to that. When we submit to the authority of God, we're submitting to what's best for us. He's not an authority that's selfish. 
He's not an authority that has his own agenda. Well, he does have an agenda. It's his glory and our benefit. It's the best agenda we could ever submit to. So tonight, if God's challenging you, if he's speaking to your heart, be obedient to that because in following him, you're going to experience freedom that you're never going to experience if you try and hold on. Control. So tonight, as we close, I want you to think about one of two situations for your life. The first one is this. Maybe you're somebody who's never placed Jesus as cornerstone. You've never recognized that he is the true cornerstone. You've been holding on to that position in your own heart and in your own life. I would just just tell you, as lovingly and passionately as I can, recognize that Jesus loves you. Recognize that he is the son in the story who came and died, but then like the story didn't tell us, but Jesus actually lived out for us. He came back to life and he did it so that you could have life that only he deserves. He did it so you could have forgiveness from all of your sins, all the things you've ever done wrong. He did it so that you could have freedom and hope and joy. You could have himself, a relationship with him. Let tonight, let today be the day that you recognize that Jesus is the cornerstone. And if that's you, if the Holy Spirit's prompting you right now and saying, this is your story, today is the day, tell somebody, tell one of us on Staff at Covenant, we'd love to pray for you, to celebrate you, to encourage you, to help you take your next step. Tell a family member, tell somebody else, just tell somebody. And as you do it, we are so excited that God is working in your life that way. Now, some of us have already done that step. But somewhere along the way, we've gotten some stones out of alignment in our building. We recognize that Jesus was cornerstone, but then we set to building it the way we wanted to. Tonight, today, in this moment, I encourage you, recognize that the cornerstone knows better and you're not him. He knows better. He loves you more than you love yourself. He cares for you more than you care for yourself. He leads you better than you could ever leave yourself. So submit to him, whatever that looks like. We mentioned a couple practical things earlier. Maybe it's finances. Maybe it's your relationship with your family or other people. Maybe it's something else altogether. But be willing to look yourself in the mirror. This is a challenge I'm going to give you, and I'm going to do it this week. In fact, I've started the last couple days. I've looked at myself in the mirror at least once a day and said, hey, you're not the boss of me. Remind yourself, because we have to, right? When we're tempted to sin, when we're experiencing things in our life, we forget that we're not the boss. Jesus is the boss. He is the cornerstone, and that is a good, good thing. So my hope is that tonight, this word, this message, brings you some freedom, brings you some peace, some hope. I know it has me as I've wrestled with it this week. So thank you, Heavenly Father. Thank you for providing a cornerstone that is so much better, so much better suited for leading us, so much more loving than we are to ourselves, so much stronger, so much purer, so much more grace-filled than we could ever be. His name is Jesus, and so to him we ask and pray that we would align our lives. Show us what it means to be obedient to you. It is the purpose for which we were created. God, you are so good. And we love you so much. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.